Welcome to PA Centered, a podcast designed to help listeners be a part of the solution to end sexual harassment, abuse, and assault. Each episode, we will take on a topic or current event to help spark conversation and break down barriers to building communities free from sexual violence. Hi, I'm Jackie Strom, the Prevention and Resource Coordinator at the Pennsylvania Coalition Against Rape. I'll be your host today as we're joined by attorneys Lisa Matakaitis and Conrad Jarzna to talk about housing discrimination. Lisa joined PCART in 2020 after over a decade operating her employment and civil rights practice based in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, where she represented individuals at the Pennsylvania Human Relations Commission, the U.S. EEOC, state agencies, and in federal courts. For several years, Lisa has been named to the Super Lawyers and Super Lawyers Rising Stars in the areas of plaintiff's employment discrimination. Prior to attending law school, Lisa earned her BA in Women's Studies. Conrad has 16 years of experience in civil litigation, family law, criminal law, real estate, and immigration. In private practice, he represented many survivors of domestic and sexual violence. He joined PCAR's Sexual Violence Legal Assistance Project in February 2020. The SVLAP provides free, holistic, legal advice and counsel and short-term representation to victims of rape and sexual harassment, abuse, and assault throughout the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. The project is designed to fill existing gaps where local community legal services are unavailable and gives priority to victims of non-intimate partner sexual assault. The services provided include landlord, tenant, and housing issues, sexual violence protection orders, Title IX and other campus sexual assault issues, employment matters, criminal justice advocacy, privacy issues, and general legal advocacy. Welcome, Lisa and Conrad. Good morning, Jackie. Good morning, Jackie. So can you start by telling us what housing discrimination is and what are some common examples? Federal and state laws provide protections and remedies for those who experience discrimination. Um, protected classes can be uh, a person's race, color, national origin, religion, sex, familial status, disability, age, over the age of 40, ancestry, and pregnancy under the Pennsylvania Human Relations Act, which is a state law in Pennsylvania that prohibits discrimination. Today, we really wanted to focus on a particularly vulnerable uh, class of people, that is survivors of sexual harassment, abuse, and assault um, in the areas of housing discrimination. Uh, sexual violence can jeopardize a person's housing and, and lack of housing or inadequate shelter can increase the risk of sexual violence. So one of the reasons why we wanted to do this podcast um, is to provide some information about the various laws that are in Pennsylvania and also federal laws that can provide remedies for survivors of sexual harassment, abuse, and assault. Um, the, in Pennsylvania, if a person is discriminated against because of a protected class, they can bring a complaint with the Pennsylvania Human Relations Commission, which is a state agency in Pennsylvania, um, that would investigate uh, complaints of discrimination. And um, 
federal protections are very similar to what we have in, uh, in Pennsylvania. <clears throat> the source of those protections is different. It, uh, they come from the Fair Housing Act of 1968, which was really an expansion of the Civil uh, Rights Act of 1964. And similar to state, it also prohibits uh, discrimination in housing or in other areas based, although this particular act deals with housing only, based on uh, race, color, national origin, religion, uh, <clears throat> gender, familiar status, and disability. So what are some examples of what housing discrimination looks like? Housing can, discrimination can um, take the effect in many different forms. Uh, one could be when you apply for a rental property, um, you could be denied uh, denied housing um, based on some kind of protected class. Like, for example, a landlord may not want to rent to a single mom with children. Um, a landlord may not want to rent to a person because they're black or brown. Uh, and another way that it can take effect um, is in not providing uh, repairs to somebody because of their protected class or treating them differently. Also not providing accommodations for a person with a disability. To just be more specific, uh, here are some examples of uh, discrimination. Um, we want to make sure that the audience is uh, aware of. So, for example, uh, quid pro quo, when uh, a uh, landlord would demand sexual favors to get something like them together into an apartment or a house uh, to get repairs made or uh, to just in lieu of uh, rent payments or, or other payments. Um, not allowing an emotional support animal or a service animal uh, in, in the house or an apartment or apartment complex would be another one. Um, discrimination during the home appraisal process. Uh, not many people may be aware of, but it does take place uh, more often than we want to. Uh, steering buyers or renters away from or to a particular neighborhood based on their race, ethnicity, or other characteristics. Um, uh, delaying or ignoring maintenance or repair requests, uh, just for sometimes it's done uh, as a retaliation. So maybe someone already complained about. Uh, discrimination and then uh, their request for repairs is being ignored. Um, and uh, making housing unavailable or setting different terms, conditions, or, or privileges to rent units just uh, as a method of keeping certain people out and certain other people in. So, so. And then uh, advertisement practices that basically target particular groups uh, or exclude other groups would be another example of discrimination. So how do you know if it's discrimination? Uh, it's not always clear uh, that one's actions are discriminatory in nature. Uh, those acts by landlords or, or property managers, uh, acts and omissions can be, typically we would divide them into two categories. So you have overt discrimination and covert discrimination. So uh, overt discrimination would be basically, let's say you have evidence of landlord or property manager making a direct statement. Uh, for example, like I'm not renting to black people. Uh, it's, you know, we'd like to say it's rare, it's rare I'm sorry. But uh, now with the technology and, and cell phones and people recording, uh, it's, it's more common that, that probably we would have wanted to or we would have thought. Uh, even in our 
my short experience with SVLab at Vcar. Uh, had a client a few months ago who basically went first through a property management or like a real estate agency um, and applied for, for a place for her and her uh, grandchildren. And uh, first, everything was perfect. She, she had a great reference from her previous landlord, did all the background checks, everything, credit score, everything came back perfectly until that agency uh, connected her with the actual landlord who all of a sudden uh, just called her out of nowhere and said that, you know, well, I'm not renting to you. And uh, uh, she actually, she, she asked, is it because I'm black? And he, his response was, yes, something like that. Uh, at that point, her lease was already signed. So she basically said, I don't care. I have a moving date. I'm already gave notice to my, my previous landlord. I'm, I'm going there. And uh, when she did arrive with her young grandchildren, uh, teenagers, young pre preteens, um, the landlord's daughter just became belligerent. I mean, it was, and she actually, talking about recording and, and technology, she actually was able to record it and just the, the language they used towards her was, was uh, um, just despicable, was horrible. So that's, that's an example of overt uh, discrimination where you just have direct evidence and, and, and people are not trying to cover it up. They just basically blatantly tell you that we're not going to rent to you because of, of your race in this case. And more often than not, we see uh, discrimination that is based on what we call indirect evidence of discrimination um, and or more covert discrimination. Uh, this might happen in a situation where a realtor or a uh, realtor is steering uh, renters or buyers into a particular neighborhood and away from, let's say, a white neighborhood. Um, it also may, may happen where there are um, imposition of different rental rates um, based on your protected class. Um, and uh, in advertising as well, um, we might see things that say uh, this, rental unit is available for uh, for as a couple without children or for um, a single professional, things like that, where it's not directly saying that we will not rent to people with children, but it could have the um, effect of denying um, housing to people who are outside of the protected class. Or, in the protected class um, that would be covered under federal or state law. Um, and, and with um, housing discrimination can also uh, be in the form of sexual harassment or sex discrimination. And in particular, uh, for survivors of sexual violence, the anti-discrimination laws can uh, come into play because somebody is treated differently because of their sex. Uh, that discrimination could include protections against sexual harassment by landlords. Um, it can, sexual harassment can be quid pro quo, meaning that um, the landlord would demand sex or sexual acts in exchange for renting or buying a home. It also includes unwelcome sexual comments and conduct. And just to expand a little bit on the advertising issue, because now with, with new ways of advertising, with, with, uh, with social media being used for advertising and other platforms, just an example of uh, uh, Facebook here, 
think it was just as recently as last year when Facebook was uh, accused of uh, by a federal agency of, of allowing advertisers to restrict who is able to see ads on the platform. And that was based on uh, the characteristics we mentioned, race, religion, national origin. Uh, so those advertisers, uh, mostly housing companies that have money to advertise on, on Facebook, uh, would pretty much use the tools available or provided by Facebook to pick and choose the demographic of renters they, they just prefer. So uh, Facebook, in response to those uh, accusations, changed its practices, but it's something to keep in mind because the same tools are used through other uh, platforms or, or uh, websites. So uh, it's something to also uh, keep an eye on going forward because that's probably not going to just disappear. It's probably just going to get more sophisticated and more covert. So are there any legitimate non-discriminatory reasons for imposing restrictions on a tenant? Sure. There are, uh, as long as a landlord isn't discriminating against somebody because of a protected class or a protected reason, the landlord is, is free typically to place restrictions on tenants and to hold tenants to their leases. And uh, some examples might be there, there could be an occupancy limit that a landlord um, places on a unit. And that, that occupancy limit could be, could be in place because of a municipal ordinance or something like that. So that would be a legitimate non-discriminatory reason. Uh, an occupancy limit would be a legitimate non-discriminatory reason for, let's say, refusing to rent to somebody with four children. Um, if the, the unit is limited to occupancy of two, um, you couldn't have, you know, more than two people in that unit. That would be a legitimate non-discriminatory reason for uh, declining uh, someone for a particular unit. Um, there are other reasons as well. I and mean, if somebody has a service dog or an emotional support animal, that animal can't be um, like a vicious animal or somebody, yeah, an animal that would be dangerous to other tenants. Um, so there are certainly restrictions that landlords can place on people and landlords are able to deny people housing, but it, it needs to be based on, not based on a protected class. And if I may add, just such policy has to be applied broadly, basically to everyone. So you cannot just pick and choose this unit because then it could just become suspicious, even if your intention is is, is legitimate. But uh, just all these policies have to be applied throughout by one lender throughout throughout all the units. So when we're thinking about housing discrimination, can one of you talk about how it impacts survivors of harassment, abuse, and assault? Sure. Survivors of domestic violence and sexual assault are oftentimes mostly women, and they uh, often face housing discrimination because of the violence against committed against them. Examples of such kinds of discrimination can include being denied admission to or being evicted from housing due to the acts of violence committed against the survivor or because of the landlord's zero tolerance crime policy in a lease agreement. It can also include denial of housing because the survivor requires an emotional support animal um, and the landlord uses a no pets policy as an excuse for the denial. Uh, another example 
might be where a survivor is seeking housing with the help of a local domestic or sexual violence organization and the landlord refuses to rent based on a false stereotype that survivors always go back to their abusers. So does the landlord have any liability concerns that they need to figure out ahead of time? Uh, yes, I mean, the landlord has a duty to protect from known dangers. So uh, basically, let's say if you had, someone has a situation that, uh, let's say you've got a PFA, you, you, or you're just uh, thinking of getting one, or um, sexual violence protective order, um, probably a really good idea to immediately notify your landlord and uh, or the building manager or whoever is in charge. Uh, I would go as far as making sure that they have a copy if you do have a temporary uh, protection order or you have final protection order, just to make sure that they have a copy on file just because, first of all, they'll, they'll take it probably more seriously. Um, they'll know the name of the individual. So they also, have to be informed in order to be able to protect. So they definitely have, have a duty to keep those people away. Um, and um, uh, the landlord's also not allowed to share any private information with third parties without a written authorization. So uh, whenever a person signs the lease, it's always strongly recommended to make sure you read through it, you understand what you just signed, if there are any forms that come with the lease that you need to sign. Again, read through them. I know people tend to just sign and move on, but uh, uh, you don't want to regret it later. Uh, also make sure to keep the copy of the lease. And just as a side note, I would usually ask the landlord to and they just put the initials on each page because I've seen, I've seen landlords basically then change pages and you know you have the last page your signature page and then in the middle all of a sudden it turns out that uh, something changed and you lost the copy of your lease you cannot really uh, confront the, the, the landlord and, uh, and, um, and then you have problems so uh, paper trail is huge that's why if you're making any uh, if you have any communication whatsoever with the landlord just I would recommend just keeping whether it's a text message email uh, Keep it in writing, keep a copy of it, have a separate file, just almost approach it, just think about it as if you're going to court, even if you don't even expect it to happen, because typically that's how you prevent yourself from ending up in court when you have solid evidence. Uh, the same with just keeping the, if let's say someone moves out of the house um, or an apartment, uh, even if the landlord does not care, make sure the landlord is aware of it so that the person cannot return to that place. And, and again, the landlord, if the landlord doesn't know, they will not be able to, to help you. So uh, I would just keep that uh, up to date at all times and, and make sure that the, the office or, or if it's an individual landlord just know about what's going on. Um, unfortunately, Pennsylvania does not have a law that allows someone to terminate the lease agreement because of domestic violence or sexual violence but it also doesn't mean that the lease cannot be terminated there there may be other ways so like for example sexual violence protective order when you when you in court and you're asking for the protection there are also other remedies and and uh, uh, you can ask the court to basically as part of this order uh, state that uh, your, your lease is terminated um, and you know when you, when you run into something like this it's basically advisable to just contact an attorney. We're here at SB Lab, we're available and, and, and happy to help. 
because sometimes uh, uh, something simple that is preventable could turn into a complicated issue that, that makes your case more complicated down the road. So I know that there are lots of different groups who can be affected by housing discrimination, um, but could you talk a little bit about how folks with disabilities can request accommodations and what their landlords are required to provide them with? Sure. Under uh, federal and state law, you can, uh, if a person has a disability and they need a reasonable accommodation um, in their housing, they can request it from their the landlord or the owner of the of the unit, um, the request should be in writing, uh, and sometimes the landlord is going to want to see, you know, what the disability is, um, how it affects your major life activities, and what kinds of accommodations you might need. So, it, it may be a situation where the the landlord is asking for medical documentation. Uh, the landlord may also want something from a doctor saying that. Uh, this person has a medical condition, for example, and needs <clears throat> a uh, closer parking spot. Um, that may be an example of a reasonable accommodation that a landlord could give. But basically, uh, what what me what I as a lawyer would want to know is is the person's disability. How long have they had the disability? Um, do they still have it and how much longer are they expected to have it? Is it expected to be, um, you know, a lifelong disability? Uh, then the other questions that I would ask are what kind of major life activities uh, are affected by your disability? You know, is your, is your ability to see, uh, to hear, um, to walk, to um, talk to other people, to care for yourself? Um, relate to others, is that affected by your disability and how is it affected? Um, I'd also want to know is did you inform your did you inform your landlord or the property owner of the disability? Was the, the property owner aware of your disability? When did you tell the property owner or the landlord about your disability? Um, and how did you tell them? So that's why I really um, usually encourage people to put their requests for reasonable accommodations in writing and then document whether or not the landlord provided the requested accommodation or modification um, and if they did not i would want to know you know what reason the landlord gave to you for not making the reasonable accommodation sometimes landlords will say well um, it's just too expensive it's too expensive to make that accommodation but you really want to have some kind of dialogue with the landlord to see if there are other ways of making the accommodation that you need. So how are some other groups affected by housing discrimination? Uh, there are many, many, many different statistics, but just to highlight a few of them, for example, uh, trans black women have the highest rate of homelessness into multiple levels of discrimination. So it's not only housing discrimination, but it's also, uh, sex discrimination, race discrimination, etc. Um, LGBTQ youth faces uh, more than twice the homelessness risk of uh, heterosexual cisgender youth, their counterparts, uh, which is also a very upsetting statistic. Um, 
roughly 5% of the nation's uh, housing stock is accessible to people with moderate mobility-related disabilities. And less than 1% is accessible to people who use a wheelchair full-time. So that's, that, that's the one that really shocked me, to be honest. I expected that number to be uh, a little higher. Um, there was a study uh, by Suffolk University and the Boston Foundation um, Basically what they did, they used uh, black and white uh, testers, uh, quote unquote, participants in the study, and they were asked to rent apartments uh, or contact potential uh, landlords. And the study found uh, the discrimination based on race was uh, present in 51% of the, of the tests. So uh, the same study, uh, the, they also found that the housing providers Providers cut off contact with 42% of the testers if they said that they had a voucher for Section 8 housing as opposed to 10% uh, for those who did not mention the vouchers. So again, these are just few statistics. Uh, none of them are good. So it sounds like it would be helpful for our listeners to know what they should do if they wanted to file a discrimination complaint. So could you talk a little about where and how to file a complaint? Sure. Um, complaints for housing discrimination can be filed with the Pennsylvania Human Relations Commission, which is an agency of the state of Pennsylvania, or also with the Housing and Urban Development HUD if the actions complained are uh, protected under federal law. Uh, there's a short amount of time to file a complaint of discrimination with the Pennsylvania Human Relations Commission, which is 180 days. So I would suggest that if, if a person uh, believes that they were discriminated against in housing, they should contact a lawyer as soon as possible. Um, like you had said earlier, our attorneys are available um, during Monday through Friday during uh, working hours. Uh, we do provide free legal assistance to survivors of sexual uh, harassment, abuse, and assault. And uh, that can be in the areas of housing discrimination uh, as well. But um, basically, if a person wants to file a complaint of discrimination with the Pennsylvania Human Relations Commission, they have a website um, that has forms on their website that can help you. Um, and sometimes there is an intake person at the PHRC that can take down your information. But basically, the complaint's going to need to be in writing um, and signed and dated and filed within the 180 days, uh, typically. Um, some of the information that you're gonna need to know to file a discrimination complaint is obviously your, your contact information. Um, and then uh, information regarding the, the landlord or the entity that you believe discriminated against you. And that would be the person's name and address, phone number, um, and the, the county where the, uh, the business or the individual is located. You're going to want to um, have information on how you were discriminated against, like how were you harmed by the discriminatory event. Um, that, that could be that you were denied a, a rental, or you were evicted, um, you were denied financing, or you were treated differently or unequally, you were harassed, or you were uh, denied a, a reasonable accommodation or modification for a disability. So you want to have the information um, available to be able to clean give as much detail as you can. Um, they're gonna, the PHRC is gonna wanna know how you were treated differently. Was it because of your sex? 
uh, pregnancy? Was it because of your age over 40? Uh, you're gonna need to provide your date of birth if you think it was because of your age. Um, was it because of your race or color, religion or ancestry or national origin? Sometimes it's gonna be helpful to have information that you were treated differently than somebody outside your protected class. So for example, um, for example, if you could have information about a different uh, tenant that was provided with, let's say a closer parking spot, for example, and that person didn't have a disability, but you were denied a closer parking spot and you do have a disability, you might wanna have that information on hand to give to the Pennsylvania Human Relations Commission or the lawyer that you're working with. Um, but a lot of times you're not gonna have that information available. Yeah, there's also, there may also be another category for retaliation. So for example, if you complain to your um, management company or to your landlord or the owner of the building that you um, believed you were discriminated against or treated differently because of your protected class, um, and then let's say the landlord did something adverse to you um, as a result of your complaint, we would call that retaliation. So if you were retaliated against because of complaining or asserting your rights, um, you, you could bring those issues to the Pennsylvania Human Relations Commission as well. Um, you would want to, you would want to have information on the date that you complained um, and what you had complaining, what you were complaining about or assisting somebody else with complaining about. Uh, so the more if, the more details that you have, the better, but sometimes people don't have all the information. Like we said earlier, uh, with covert discrimination, you're not going to, a lot of times, not going to have direct evidence of discrimination or that you're being treated differently because of a protected class. So I thought it could be helpful if we go over some hypotheticals um, to see if it is discrimination. So I'll read one of these and then you all can let us know if it is in fact discrimination. So Jane has a developmental disability that affects her capacity to manage her own finances. Jane tells her building manager that her mother will be paying her rent for this reason and asks if all notices relating to her rent can be sent to her mother. The building manager tells Jane that the management company has a policy of only sending notices to residents, no exceptions. Several months later, Jane receives an eviction notice because her mother had not known that Jane's rent had been increased. So is this an example of discrimination? This, uh, this is an example of, yes, it is an example of discrimination is basically uh, denying a reasonable accommodation to a tenant. Um, so basically, basically uh, discriminating against her because of her disability. So typically with the reasonable accommodation, uh, you have to prove that there is a link between your disability and uh, and the accommodation you're requesting. So in this case, it's there is a clear link. Um, since she has a developmental disability, she needs her mom's help. Uh, and, uh, and for a landlord, under this example, to comply, it's not really overly burdensome or expensive, really no excuse not to, not to accommodate her. So, uh, so yes, this would be a pretty clear case of, of discrimination. All right, let's, let's try another one. 
So Jane has a housing choice voucher through Section 8, but one month she falls behind on her portion of the rent. When Jane asks her landlord if he will give her a few more days, her landlord says yes, but only if she will go out with him. Feeling she has no choice, Jane says yes. And over the next few days, Jane's landlord sends her sexually explicit text messages, even though Jane tells him to stop. Jane's landlord tells her that if she does not go out with him again, he is going to evict her and she will lose her voucher. So Jackie, this would be um, an example of sex discrimination or sexual harassment in the form of sexual uh, sex discrimination. Uh, the a person in this situation, this would be called quid pro quo sexual harassment, where the landlord is trying to um, trying to base somebody's housing situation or or um, rent um, in exchange for some kind of sexual favor. And again, in this situation, um, Jane had said that it was unwanted. She asked the the landlord to stop. um, And the the landlord, I believe, continued to escalate. Um, There there may be several other remedies as well, but um, that does seem like a complaint for housing discrimination could be brought under that scenario. Okay, let's do one last example. John has three teenage children. John's building has a patio with picnic tables, and one day John's children decide to have lunch there with some of their friends. The next day, John receives a notice from the Homeowners Association informing him that the building rules say that the patio is for adult use only and that he needs to make sure his children do not violate the building rules. So this would be, this is an example of discrimination uh, against children uh, based on their familiar status. So you cannot have such policy. I mean, there may be circumstances that there is a legitimate reason for it. In this example, we don't have that. Just seems like a broad policy that just basically targets children for no good reason. I mean, if there is an issue with John's particular children and there, there was something else in the lease, so let's say they, they damaged something and, and and the landlord wants to take action because of that, that you know, discriminating against the kids or having policy is not the way to deal with it. And landlord has uh, remedies under under the lease or under the contract law. So uh, uh, definitely wouldn't be something advisable for landlords to do. But you could have a situation where the landlord says, uh, let's say there's a community swimming pool in the in the um, housing complex. You know, that the landlord could say that there can't be any kind of unaccompanied minors in the swimming pool or, um, and, and that would be a legitimate non-discriminatory reason for kind of keeping kids out of a certain area without an adult. Thanks for explaining all of that. Um, the last question that I wanted to ask right now, um, so as we're going through this pandemic, are there any COVID-19 related housing protections that folks should be aware of? Uh, yes. Yeah, so as many may be already aware, uh, the gover- Governor Walt issued a ban on evictions and foreclosures uh, because of the pandemic. Uh, fortunately, that expired uh, just on August 31st. But um, uh, more recently, September 4th, the Center for Disease Control, uh, federal agency, CDC, um, issued the federal ban. So uh, that's that one is right now set to expire at the end of the year, so December 31st, 
2020, unless it will be extended, we'll see what happens. But what that means is basically that uh, the landlords uh, cannot file, uh, file actions for eviction. That uh, doesn't mean that you don't have to pay rent. I mean, if you don't, they cannot affect you. But basically, when this ban expires, all the back rent will be due. Um, and uh, and then, let's say, if there's no extension on January 1st, the lender will be able to file and um, uh, and start the eviction process. So uh, I think it's important to note that to be protected, qualified tenants that are facing eviction should immediately provide a signed declaration to their landlord. So cannot expect your lender to just know that, you know, you lost your job or you're in a difficult financial situation. Plus, again, it goes back to the paper trail. Just you have some proof that you, you gave a notice to your landlord. And if you do provide such notice, uh, make sure you also have a copy for yourself and, and just keep one uh, in your, for your records. So uh, the declaration, you can find the declaration. It's actually a form. Um, in multiple languages, and it can be found on the on the website. It's www.nlihc.org. Again, nlihc.org, um, and we'll probably ask our communication team to also maybe post the link on on uh, PCAR social media just uh, for a quicker access. And again, as we said earlier, if anyone has any questions, uh, feel free to contact SB Lab. Um, the number is 717-901-6784. It's directly to SV Lab. We can, we'll do an intake consultation. Even if you have some questions, it's better to ask them now than for us to have to maybe undo things later. So, so uh, uh, we're, we're here and we're happy to help. Thank you so much, Lisa and Conrad, for joining us to talk about housing discrimination. Uh, that's all the time we have today, but we'll make sure to link to all the resources that we talked about today in the notes. And again, if you need more information about the Sexual Violence Legal Assistance Project, you can visit PCAR.org or call 717-901-6784. This podcast is for informational purposes only, and not for the purpose of providing legal advice. You should contact your attorney to obtain advice with respect to any particular issue or problem. If you or a loved one needs help, a local sexual assault center is available 24-7. Call one 888 772-7227 for more information or find your local center online at pcar.org. Together, we can end sexual violence. Any views or opinions expressed on PA Centered by staff or their guests are solely their own and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of PCAR or PCAR's funders.